Well, I've done a lot of Let's Go Eat shows, and this is probably going to go down as one of my very favorite episodes. Hello. Our guest this time is Spencer F. Stokes. Ficklin. That's what the F stands for. It's for... uh, Ficklin is... uh, Well, you'll find out. It's not a very good reason why he's named Ficklin's. (laughs) It's pretty interesting. Uh, Spencer Stokes uh, is a uh, Republican strategist. He's a... um, a lobbyist, and he's a, a fixer. He fixes people's uh, campaigns, Republican campaigns. Now, he, do, he doesn't do that for money. He lobbies for money. But uh, when he works on people's campaigns, uh, he doesn't do that for money. He just does it because he's a good Republican, and he's smart. Man, you'll see in this interview, Spencer Stokes is a smart guy. And I think what will also come across in this interview is, is that he is a really nice guy. Uh, he's uh, Weber County. Well, he was born in Box Elder County, but he is Weber County through and through. He was the youngest person to ever be elected to a count, be a county commissioner, and that was the Weber County Commission. Uh, he's a alum of uh, Weber State University, and he bleeds wildcat uh, purple? purple. Yeah, purple. Yeah, thank you. Uh, and uh, he was just an absolute pleasure to talk to, and I could have sat with him for another a couple of hours. Uh, The Let's Go Eat Show, Spencer Stokes is our guest. I hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoyed talking to him. I I will say this. I think the interview, uh, it it took a a few minutes to kind of get going, I thought. But when it did, we really got into it. We talk about the current state of politics. Uh, We'll talk about Trump and and Hillary Clinton and and all kinds of stuff. Uh, Thanks to uh, Jen and the staff at 50 West. They, They gave us a great lunch. Uh, and uh, thanks to Spencer for taking some time. Thanks to Dylan for producing the show. And here it is, without further ado, on the Let's Go Eat Show, Spencer Ficklin Stokes. Uh, Spencer Stokes, I, you know, I just uh, th- thanks for being on the podcast. Um, I just like to start out by just reading, yeah, and then you can stop me <laughs> and tell me what's what's not true. But this is from your website, uh, Stence, uh, Spencer F. Stokes, and then so I found out that it's Ficklin. Ficklin, yeah, the doctor who delivered me. I don't know what was going on there between the doctor and my mother, but yes, my Ficklin. middle name after the doctor that delivered me. You, you know, I think that was not uncommon. Uh, for for uh, at one time for parents to do that to say, to be so enamored of the doctor, they they loved you so much and they that was the way of that, thanking that, the right. doctor. They, they were the they were the prominent person in the community. I've toyed with it because of the business I'm in of just removing the periods, so that was just Spencer F. Stokes. <laughs> yeah, so kind of a, people yeah. don't mess around with. Yeah, me. don't mess around with Spencer <laughs> F. Stokes. That's right. You know what you get. Uh, born in Tre- were you actually born in Tremonton? In Tremonton. And that's where you grew up? I grew up in a little town, Bothwell, which right. is just to the west of Tremonton. Tremonton, Bothwell is the uh, is suburbia to Tremonton. Right, by the way, so we, we're here at 50 West uh, uh, Club and Cafe. Uh, food has just been put on the table, and you should feel free to eat while we're talking. Well, that's why I got things that would be sound loud. Crunchy stuff. chips, crunchy stuff, okay. yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, so you can crunch it right in the microphone. We don't care. It is the Let's Go Eat Show. And, you know, it's an art. There have been very few people on this podcast who really feel as though they can eat while they're doing it. Well, I'm eating. That's, Good. that's, part, that's part of what this is, is all about, right? I'm eating. That's, Absolutely. I had to tell them that to get them to show up. Right, exactly. <laughs> food. If there's food, I'll be there. Good. Good, good. 
So uh, anyway, Spencer F. Stokes, born in Tremont and actually grew up in Bothell, uh, the uh, son of Dolores and Alida V. Stokes. Now, I thought... Gee, what an what an interesting name his his father had, Elita V. Stokes. And, <laughs> and, and then I found out that your father's name was Dolores. Dolores, um, and your he mother was, was Elita V. Stokes. Exactly. He he was he was uh, one of four boys, so he always used to joke that he was his grandmother's only daughter. <laughs> um, but but he used that name. I've I've told people it's the the male spelling of Dolores because it's a, it's got an I S at the end and not an E S at the end. So it's the. Did he ever try to did, when? Do you know when he was a kid, or did he try to do it, run away from that name? Or when he would make plane reservations back in the day before TSA, and you could make a plane reservation this mm-hmm. way, yeah. he would make it under D Stokes. But we always knew that there was something up when the Republican fundraising mail came to. You know, Mrs. Dolores, Mrs. or Ms. <laughs> Dolores Stokes, or you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Mr. Stokes, uh, our guest. Uh, we're, uh, people are now uh, probably still go. Well, why is this guy on the podcast? Because you're. But we're we're getting to the heart mm-hmm. of the matter here. Why is Spencer Stokes on the podcast? Uh, graduated from Weber State University, majoring in political science, minoring in communications. Uh, Spencer began working in politics. Ah, here we get ah, to it. Yes. At it wasn't because age. I was charming. What do you mean? <laughs> well, you are now. I'm I met just, uh, I, I met you briefly. Uh, you were a guest on uh, Jim DeBacchus's TV yeah, show. That's right. Uh, and I thought uh, I heard a little bit about you, and I had never met you before. And I thought this guy is a charming and b <laughs> really smart and uh, uh, and a conservative and just the exact opposite of me, of a, a, a liberal. But I just I liked you immensely. And you're not, and are, so you're not very bright. You're not very charming, and you're a liberal. Is that yeah, what you're that's saying? right. Complete opposite. <laughs> that's, right. That's exactly. My, there's my son who calls it like it is. Uh, uh, Spencer and, works. And Spencer's taller too. He's yes, a he taller is. Guy. So and better looking. So it's all there. <laughs> and younger. Uh, anyway, working in politics at early age, learn part process, ground up, uh, serving as head of uh, elections in Weber County, appointed uh, to the Weber County Commission in February of 1992. In November of '92, elected to as a four-year term on the commission, uh, and, and the only reason that's important is because the February part is that I still hold the record as the youngest county commissioner. How in the old state. were you? I was 27, and I had lunch with John Cox yesterday. He used to be the governor's spokesperson, right. and he, and he was bemoaning the fact that he would have been elected at 28. <laughs> to the county commission, and so he didn't was unable to beat me. Ding! Just missed it. Right. Uh, the uh, yeah, long, youngest commissioner ever elected in the state. Spencer appointed executive director of the Utah Republican Party in May of '96. Uh, he was uh, started his own lobbying and political consulting firm, Stokes Strategy. Then in 2011, uh, Mike Lee, who was just elected to the Senate, asked you to be his chief of staff, and you went back to D.C. I did. Did that for two years, came back and reestablished Stokes' strategies. And you, know, and you know how I decided to do that? I, I really wondered if I should change the name when I came back from you know working with, with Senator Lee, you know, revolution strategies or some, some, some topic like that. But I called my wife before I went into the post office to open a P.O. box, and I said to my wife, if P.O. Box 750 is still there and it's not rented, 
I'm naming the company Stoke Strategies. Because that, that's the one you had That's before. the one I had before I went to D.C. <laughs> so I walk in and I ask the postman, is P.O. Box 750 still available? And it was, so that's how I got, that's how I renamed it. Good, good as a yeah, reason exactly. as any. Fair right. enough. So, so I guess the, what I want to know is how a, a, a kid from Tremont and grew up in Both, Bothwell, Bothwell. On, a, on a turkey ranch. Yeah, turkey farm, dry farm and turkey farm. Yes, that's what that's what yep. your dad did is is raise turkeys. He and farmed and fifty thousand turkeys a year. So that's why I'm so. I, that's why I can deal with politicians. Really, I mean. <laughs> so, so how is it that you developed this? Uh, by some accounts, I mean, I've heard people speak of you and say uh, nobody has a keener political mind than Spencer Stokes. Uh, how is it that you develop this love of politics and this this conniving political mind? <laughs> you know, I think it, it comes from the fact that my dad was involved in politics when I was a kid. On he a was local level. On a local level. He was on the, the, uh, the local school board for 10 years and, and was kind of an activist in the community. I remember when Jim Hansen was running for the first time against Gun McKay. And uh, Jim Hansen, you know, dad hosted him in the community. And, and uh, so I guess, I guess I saw it as, at a young age, was extremely fascinated by it and interested in it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's much different today than what I saw when I was a kid. And then got, I got involved with some of the local county commission races and, and helped them. I, I remember distinctly handing out little little carnation boutonnieres at the state convention for Orrin Hatch back in 1982 uh, as a volunteer, and it was at the, held at the Salt Palace. Um, and I, I just kind of caught the bug. Mm-hmm. You know, I, my mother gave me a flag for my high school graduation on a pole, and I thought, hmm, well, you know, how many, peop- how many kids get a flagpole <laughs> for high school graduation? <laughs> yeah. but, uh, that is odd. Yeah, it is odd. But anyhow, it, it, I kind of caught it then, I think. Uh, did, you, did you ever, did you run for offices while you were in school? I did. I ran for office in a failed, well, I, I was the ninth grade class president, the 10th grade class president, the 11th grade class president, and then made my bid for student body president. Is this at Bear River? At Bear River High School and lost oh. to none other. Than Rod Zundel from KSL, mm. yeah, from yeah, KSL Sports, uh, and and still to this That's day, I'm, I'm bitter about it. Yeah. Yes, I mean, look at him, uh, you yeah. know, I'm so much better looking than him, uh, and and his hair is all fake. I mean, it's mainly plugs, mm-hmm. and uh, I've just embraced the fact that I don't have hair and yeah. kind of buzzed it, but yeah. he's. You know, he's a television personality. Well, and it's sports. And it's, yeah, it's sports, yeah. 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 And he was, the, of course, he was the star quarterback on the football oh, team and the star basketball player. And, and I was a thespian. So, of course, I wasn't going to win. That's my first lesson in know your audience. You're never going to be, which is why I always, I always crack up when people announce they're going to run for office. And I think to myself, how are you qualified and what group? Do you think you're going to get to run for office? You know the voters, but so. why do why do people run for office? That's something I've always wondered. Uh, I, <laughs> what, uh, is something wrong with I these people? I don't get it. You know, I I kind of have stumbled into both offices I've held. I'm currently on the state school board, and um, 
I kind of stumbled into that. I stumbled into the county commission uh, race. Uh, but I don't know how one wakes up in the morning and looks himself in the mirror and says, I mean, think about this. 1976, Orrin Hatch had just moved to Utah, and he from looked at, from, right? from, from, from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, no. and he looked himself in the mirror and said, I can beat the sitting senator, Frank Moss. Uh, Frank Moss, a Democrat, yeah. been there for a long time, hugely. Well, that's relative now, but yes, yeah. yeah. But hugely uh, a successful senator, too. Correct. Frank Moss yeah. was very successful. Uh, Utahns liked him. They sent him back to office, what, four terms think, or something? I think four terms. Um, Didn't you tell me recently that Orrin Hatch won that race kind of on the same. platform of saying Frank yeah. Moss, is he's an establishment. He's been in there too been long. Been there too long. He's I a promise, career politician. I promise I will yeah. not be a career politician like Frank Moss. Of course, I mean, of course, because you've got to come up with a wedge issue, and that was a good wedge issue. Mm-hmm. Um, it's ironic now, yeah. but uh, at the time it was a great wedge issue. And um, but uh, but uh, I mean the, well, let's go back to he looked in the mirror and said I can yeah. do it but why did, why I guess the reasons are as varied as the people who do who decide to do it but yeah I mean for Senator Lee um, he did it because he felt like uh, his timing was very good let's keep that in mind but he did it because he felt like the country was moving in the wrong direction and um, really Senator Lee's main issue when you cut away everything. Senator Lee's main issue is that the government is doing things it shouldn't be doing. And number two, that the the deficit is just so large that how are we ever going to get it under control? And and those issues, of course, Obamacare was happening at the time. There was the – as many people in Utah felt like it had been snuck through or jammed through with that one, one vote in the Senate. And so his timing was, you know, impeccable. And uh, I think that's largely why he did. I think he, everybody, like you said, Bill, they do it for different reasons, uh, as varied as the people that do it. But I've, I guess I've just had, I guess I'm too self-loathing to think that I could, you know, run people, for that kind of office. People, people must have asked you on time to time. No, right? I think I'm such no. a, I'm, I'm such a jerk that most people don't. They don't. They do not. You know, I'm the guy you come to when you want an honest answer about something, and most politicians know that. So when they really want to check out something that their gut is telling them, mm-hmm. the, I usually get a call. Really? And, and, and it's one of those things, you know, you're right. Your gut is correct. You should not do that. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, and that, so that's why no one has ever asked me to run for higher office. Uh, let's go, so let's go back in your career. You... Uh, uh, you go to uh, your. Are you interested to hear you say that you were an actor in high school? You liked the the theater. You liked I drama. Did, yeah. And, yeah, and I. That's what I did as mm-hmm. well. And I continued to pursue it at Weber State. I got a degree in theater at Weber mm-hmm. State, and that, I went on to be an actor. And that's what. And I never w- once wanted to go into politics. I <laughs> I stayed in theater. Well, I think there's some alignment, though, Bill. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, uh, I I I went to. I got home from my LDS mission, and I went to USU. And because I had been in the theater program and music at Bear River High School, I got a lot of pressure to enroll in the theater and, and music. And I, I did some, some 
you know, a few performances at USU. Mm-hmm. And then I fell in love. And my, my wife, uh, well, my fiance moved, was transferred for her job. She was finished with school. But I'd like to point out that she was a, the, the department uh, manager for women's dresses and lingerie. So, I mean, obviously I made a good choice. Yeah. And, and, and so she moved, was transferred with ZCMI to Layton. I, I transferred. I started going into that in, at, at Weber. Into theater. My, my voice Into coach. theater or lingerie. I'm sorry. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> I was going both, into maybe. that, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, my voice uh, coach, my voice teacher when I was growing up was a name, a woman by the name of Evelyn Harris from, from Ogden. Mm-hmm. And I, I used to, Evelyn. you know, Evelyn, I took voice lessons there, from Evelyn. There you go. Mm-hmm. And, and I drove from, from Tremont, Bothwell, Utah to Ogden, the big city of Ogden in my high school days and, and had my voice lessons there. So she immediately got me enrolled. And I finally said, Evelyn, if I'm ever going to graduate, I cannot be involved in theater and and uh, and music because that you know it sucks your life. Yeah, they, they want well, they want everything from you. Yeah, and so uh, I I did not I didn't do that. I didn't pursue it. I went into political science and communications. And still, as it was, it took me ten years to finish school. Really? Yeah, I started a family and mm-hmm. and uh, had to work full time. My wife stayed at home, and you know that just takes. As a matter of fact, one of the funnier things that I had happened to me is I was, I was on the county commission, and I had two classes left, and one of them was intro to reporting, you know, for the communications minor, uh-huh. and and I went to the class. I'd go home at lunch hour, and I would change into jeans uh, and a shirt so that the nobody figured out who I was because I was fairly controversial at the time I can you know surprisingly you were you were controversial uh, as a commissioner on the commission. yes yeah we we were doing a lot of things mm-hmm. building a lot of things the Egyptian theater the conference mm-hmm. center the mm-hmm. the new Weber center that we we constructed that did a bunch of things at the arena the upper valley library you were spending we, a lot of tax money we were spending a lot of tax money yeah and um, the the professor figured it out midway through the course because he assigned the class to come to a Weber County Commission meeting. Now I'd missed I'd missed the class where they had assigned that. And there I was sitting one night and my whole class walked in to the Weber County Commission <laughs> meeting um, at night and and I I had to drop the class because he was so angry that I would not tell. I had not told him full disclosure. Full disclosure that I was on the county commission because they were talking about that during the class. You know, so um, you uh, you you love Weber State uh, too. I mean, you spent ten years there, and I know you're a huge supporter and booster. I, I saw something or read something about you. Uh, lob you be kind of lobbied a lot to get an engineering degree. I, program there. I did. I I am a huge fan of Weber State. Um, I think it's a um, an an overperforming, underrecognized school in the state. And uh, and I I use the example when people say, "Well, how do you? How can you say that?" Well, I I just say Jimmer Fredette versus Damian Lillard. I mean, mm-hmm. when was the last time you heard anybody the name Jimmer Fredette cross your lips? Mm-hmm. And at the time he was playing at BYU, 
nobody talked about anything else, right. you know. And that was this, those were the same years Damian Lillard was playing at Weber State. Um, Damian Lillard, of course, an alum at Weber State. But I'm a big fan of Weber State, and yes, uh, I did help uh, lobby that as an alum to get the engineering program, and I'm really super proud of the fact that it's there. And hopeful, hopefully, we can expand that. But and I have all three of my kids. I've gone to Weber State and graduated and uh, currently have a, uh, a runner at Weber State. She's she's graduated, but she's taking a few courses because she's had, had redshirted a year. Oh, so. an, a, an athlete. Uh, she's right. A, a, a Holds a school record in the mile, actually, huh. at Weber State. Well, so that, you must be proud. She, I am proud, and she What's clearly does not let Jamie Stokes. Jamie Stokes. She does not look like her dad. Um, well, obviously, you, 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 I, you, you don't, you don't have a runner's, <laughs> I don't have physique. a runner's physique. No. no, no. Uh, now, um, so you go, you go from, uh, being on the county commission and I, boy, just what a thankless job oh. that is. I mean, I, when I first started in radio, I started in, after I gave up my acting career, I started in Ogden and I used to go to city council meetings and, and county commission meetings and. There's a reason they say government that's closest to the people is best. It's because taxpayers can get their hands around their neck. That's why they think it's best. I mean, they yeah. they come in, they gripe, they moan, they whine, they yell, they complain, and they can do it at a local level. I mean, when was the last time you saw that happen in Congress where where – the hearing was actually opened up for somebody to whine and complain about what was going on. There'd be a line clear back to Utah if that happened <laughs> uh, for the opportunity to do that. But I think that's why people say government that's best that's closest to the people because the people can actually go in and vent. And they yeah. do. And they do. And that's what you had to sit through, hours yeah. of that. And and you have to sit th- – and that's why also you have to sit through uh, sometimes uh, – these are really citizen – uh, uh, politicians or the, the people on the council and on the commission, they're really citizens. They go out and they have other jobs. It's, it's not their career. And, and, they, and that causes them, I think, they overthink things a lot of times and they worry things to death. No question. And it, and it, and it takes them forever to make decisions. I used to just sit there and watch them just labor things and I understand, but it was just like I just wanted to stand up and say, "Would somebody just pull the damn yeah, exactly here? make a motion, <laughs> just make a motion, do something, yeah. you know?" And I know why they would do it, but it's just so hard. But uh, you know, and I remember watching old Boyd's story, and you know, I got to tell guys. you, Boyd Boyd story, the f- the funniest political brochure I have ever seen was one that was produced by Boyd Story, and he printed them all. He was running for county commission, and on the back of his flyer, he had a, a picture of his very large family. Mm-hmm. And two bullet points under that, it was meant to say 20 years of proven public service, but they left the L out of public, and so it read 20 years of proven pubic service right above this very large fam- very large family and Yay. and yeah and when <laughs> when a, a woman went to his son who's actually now famous Craig story because he was embroiled in all of this all the controversy up there as a justice court judge when the woman who was working for him went to him and said judge you th- look at what this says 
he just said he just got all red and said, "Well, we're not printing anymore." So they just <laughs> handed them out, and, and uh, yeah. I still have one. It's one of my pride and joys. Right. So um, yeah, you go, you get on, and then what? So for little boys and girls who are growing up and say, "I'd like to be a lobbyist," how? How do you do who are, that? Who, who are these boys and girls? <laughs> yeah, who You're grows up and says that? Look, Nobody. Four year olds in suits. What do you, no, what do you think? How do you become a lobbyist, and what is a lobbyist? Well, how this happened, I, I kind of am one of those people who believes that life planning is about just doing a great job at what you're doing, and hopefully life will plan itself for you. So I didn't really – there was no life planning here. But um, I was working at the time for uh, the county the county clerk, and I was, of course, an appointed employee, and I – the. What I did was I ran the back end of the election. So I, I did all of the stuff that nobody likes to talk about, all the stuff that Sherry Swenson does that she gets no credit for, polling places and finding election judges and tabulation and all of those kinds of things. Um, but the county clerk decided not to run again, and uh, we had consolidated all three offices. We were the auditor clerk treasurer i i was asked by the commission to kind of physically do that but i didn't have a job after that and so the most famous person i knew from tremont in utah was a guy by the name of doug foxley and doug foxley was a lobbyist and i called up doug foxley and i said i'm going to be out of a job do you have anything i can do and he said well why don't you come and be my intern um you know when you're finished and i was still young and i came down and was his intern uh, at the legislature. And, and in the meantime, the new auditor clerk treasurer wanted me to come back, came down and talked me into it. I said, I'd love, love to come back, but I've got to finish out my commitment here. But I really enjoyed the lobbying part of the, of, of politics. And so, uh, when I, when I was asked by Frank Souter to be the executive director of the Republican party, and I resigned from the County commission, uh, I thought to myself, I'm, I want to do that. I want to go, go do that when I'm done. And after four years at the uh, Republican Party, I, I just decided I, was, I had enough hubris to go out and say I'm going to put my own shingle out. And that was in 1999. And the two, my two first clients, who I'll forever be indebted to, was Orrin Hatch's re-election of 2000. That was the year he ran for president, so I can fully say that I worked on a presidential <laughs> campaign. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the credit unions, the Utah League of Credit Unions at the time. Uh, and those were my two, my two first clients, and then it just kind of happened after that. Other people called me up, and did I you started have loving. To, did you have to go out and kind of hustle those clients? or Well, no. Both, both kind of came to me right at the same time, and Senator Hatch was gracious enough to allow me to, to uh, take that client at the same time I was doing you know, his general consulting on his campaign. And, and uh, it, it just worked out, and it was a great, great start. What's the difference between being a lobbyist and a consultant? Is there a political consultant? Is there any difference? Well, I, I will tell you there's... When it comes to political consulting, you're usually you're usually working for the candidate. You're helping them on their campaign. You're you know you're talking with them about strategy, uh, making sure the lawn signs are up, the radio ads are on, the television, you know you, that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, lobbyist, you're representing a company and trying to deal with the government that may be doing something negative to them. But I I learned quickly. During the uh, Mark Shirtliff campaign, Mark came to me 
Um, that was, I think, his first campaign, and he uh, for for AG and said, um, "I really, I really need your help." He didn't get out of the convention cleanly. He was running against a gentleman by the name of Frank Mylar, who was a great guy, but Mark wanted to beat him, obviously, and be the Republican nominee. And uh, I learned that it's difficult to lobby and be a professional campaign consultant because you have to go collect money from the very people you're going to lobby down the road. So yeah. I, I stopped doing races for money. I don't, I don't help people on their campaigns anymore for money. I help them because I want to, and that's a great position to be in. So that's when people, you say people will call you and ask for advice. Sure, that's, sure. That's free advice. Yeah, I don't, I don't charge for that because I, I, I enjoy politics and it's kind of the sport of it, I guess, the fun of it. Um, let me ask you just a, this. You, you mentioned that you were the head of the uh, uh, Republican Party, uh, uh, the chairman of the Utah Republican Party, and that's a, an app- appointed position. Uh, I, and I don't, so, I guess. So the executive director is the professional that runs the party day to day. Right. And that's what I was under the, uh, when Frank Souter was chair and when Rob Bishop was chair. And who, who, who? The, the the chairman the chairman hires the executive director, um, and largely the executive committee buys off on who the chairman wants to work with day to day. And so James Evans right now is <laughs> he's the chairman. Just, yeah. He's just he, what position does he hold? <laughs> yeah, exactly. What position is he in? Yeah. Um, Besides a <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's in he kind is a of chairman. a bad position right He's now. He's a chairman, and uh, he has an executive director as well. Um, Who he serves at the pleasure of. The, the executive director serves at the pleasure of, of the chairman. Oh, I yeah. see. Yeah. So, so who, can, who can say whether James Evans – yeah, you, you were James Evans? I was the executive director. I was the, the full-time paid professional. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So you – so who can say whether James Evans come, comes or goes? goes? Yeah. yeah, that would be the state delegates, oh. and it's in the off-year convention, and um, the state delegates. So the same group of delegates that that uh, did the Jonathan Johnson Gary Herbert, uh, you know, picked Jonathan Johnson over Gary Herbert will be the same group of people who will be deciding whether the James Evans stays or goes. You know, in the olden days, back when the party was a civil situation mm-hmm. um, and we had a civil re- Republican party, yeah. what generally happened was uh, the the rule of thumb was that the, the statewide office holder that was in cycle – selected who the next chairman would be and we had we had we had some of the top names in in utah as our chairman uh of the state republican party bruce bruce huff stan Parrish, frank Souter, uh rob bishop um rob bishop was selected by bob bennett uh, joe cannon stan lockhart we've had a great group of chairman of the republican party but at, during the huntsman administration John Huntsman decided that he did not want to do that. He was going to let the people decide who the state party chairman was. And that's when we've ended up kind of in this weird space of having state party chairmen who sue the legislature. Um, uh, where, so just, just talking about that, where, 
where does uh, where do you stand on this whole um, count my vote issue and uh, should we retain the old caucus system or should we go to primaries um, i i you know personally i think that that the compromise was no good at all i, I mean i understand and i know rich mckeon who's a yeah. good friend of yours you mentioned him yeah. earlier and he helped hammer out that compromise and and uh, but uh, I well, think compromises we should, we should, are never beautiful. Um, no, they're not. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, but I, but and I'm one. I'm one who at least in the. I, and I mean, I understand compromise, and I like it. But it just seems this is really an ugly compromise, and we ought to either do it or not. Yes. So let me let me first say that um, I started. Uh, you're talking to someone who has morphed on their position. I have been a big fan of the caucus convention system. But over time, I have watched what's happened to the caucus convention system, and it's not been a positive move in my estimation uh, because what's happened is a small group of people have decided to take it over, and this small group of people do not uh, represent or have share the same views as an overwhelming majority of the people of Utah. And so it's it's made for this kind of a small special interest group. Now, I will tell you that I've had that argument with Mike Levitt. Uh, I've had the argument about supporting the caucus system with Mike Levitt, Rich McKean, and LeVar Webb. I, I went in with to the office, toe-to-toe with them. We had, a, we had it out, and... And over time, I have become a fan of this of of getting getting signatures. Now, I will tell you in full disclosure, Bill, that that I knew that the new system was not going to work if there was no way to get signatures. So, a, a group of us formed, and I own twelve percent of it. So, a big, huge, whopping twelve percent of a company called Gather which did most of the signature gathering in this state. Because I came to the conclusion that, that unless there was a company out there that was willing to go out and do the work, politicians weren't going to go out and do it on their own. It was just too well, difficult. Yeah. Uh, for, a, for a governor to, to go out and get 25,000 signatures with volunteers, it wasn't going to happen. Mm-hmm. So I, I became convinced that it was the right thing to do to let more people have a say who was on the ballot. Now, it isn't elegant right now, uh, and, and it needs to have some tweaking, but it's a very perilous time to do that tweaking because you have uh, a party that is very much unhappy with the count-my-vote compromise. They've sued. They've lost. They've sued. They've lost. They've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, on lawsuits. And it's really put the party in a very perilous position financially and, in a, I think, in a perilous position in, in the public relations world. I mean, how do you tell the, the citizens of the state of Utah your Republican Party is suing your, your, your Republican-controlled House and Senate? I mean, it's, it's, it's very, madness. It, it is. It is. So uh, in the olden days, once again, we used to respect what the House and Senate did, and the party would abide by those kinds of things. But – this is proof, more proof, that a very small group of people have really taken over and and don't share uh, the same interest as the majority of Republicans in the state. That, uh, that's been the argument that that the the will of 
that that, that you I, I mean there's no doubt that the state of Utah is is very Republican but not as conservative Republican as is represented by the legislature yeah uh, it, it's it's true I mean the well the legislature actually is more is more spot on than the than the caucus than the the state delegates they're they're probably the more conservative yeah. of everybody um, and and it's a crazy it's a crazy system that allows a small handful to begin to frighten the elected officials so they can't do their jobs. The delegates frighten the legislature. Exactly, exactly. They have such a power over them. And I I think you're going to see, Bill and Dylan, that in the next next, uh, few years, that that will start to diminish because of this signature-gathering route, Mm. that it will – that politicians will – will view more the general consensus of the people they represent rather than the small handful. That's uh, interesting. I didn't know that this company existed, uh, ga- Gather. Mm-hmm. So, so a politician can pay the, a politician, the company Gather yes. to go out, or a candidate, I guess yes. would be best to say, can pay this company to go out and get signatures for them, mm-hmm. for them to get them on the ballot. Right. And the, now the, 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 the politician has to give permission Mm-hmm. to them and they have to uh when they go to the door they have to fully disclose who they're working for and would we we'd like you to sign for they have this to say candidate. we're being paid to come yeah. and yeah they they fully disclose and the, no, they have to say we're not eager young volunteers because we believe in this candidate <laughs> they have to say i'm being paid to come to your door they don't they don't necessarily disclose that but if asked they disclose it um, because, I mean, but there is kind of a difference. It's there a is a difference. Difficult. Yeah, there is a difference. And I will, I will tell you that we have the part of the rule that stuck or part of the law that stuck was that you could only sign one, one petition for a candidate. So if there were three candidates uh, in that legislative district and somebody came to the door early and got the, all the signatures that they needed, the other two candidates would have a harder time getting the signatures. So... Uh, gather gathers done work for all kinds of people. Um, they've done work for Evan McMullen. They've done work in other states for Evan McMullen to qualify him on ballots. Um, mm. They've they like I said they did work for Senator Lee and and for the governor. And I will tell you, and a lot of people don't really talk about this, but Senator Lee made a very courageous decision to use the signature gathering process. And his thought process was, I'm going to use every tool that the state law gives me to get myself on the ballot. So he went through the convention, and he did the signature gathering. Had had he not made that choice, it would have been almost perilous for Governor Herbert to have done signatures and gone to the convention. And we've since learned, I, I was involved with the governor's uh, campaign, you know, the part of the strategy with Jonathan Johnson was if I can get the governor below 40% in the convention, then I can challenge his position on the ballot. Yeah. Because he's, he's, he is, has been denied the ballot access by the party, yet he's gone out and got sick, gotten signatures, which is being battled through the courts. Mm-hmm. And it would have created a lot of controversy. And, I don't know how you feel about this race, but I think Governor Herbert's done a great job. He deserved another four years, and 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 certainly a better job than I think Jonathan Johnson would have done had he been the the candidate. Yeah, I mean, of of Jonathan Johnson and and Gary Herbert, I would 
certainly go with Gary Herbert and yeah. Yeah, very 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 that's a very nice way Bill for you to say that. Yeah. And I and I don't um it really and, is. And I like I uh, know and I I like Gary Herbert. I you know, I uh, there's this isn't the time or the place to, you know, sit and say I don't like what he does about this or that or but but I he all in all he's a decent guy. Right. We've talked and, about that a little bit about um, being able to like a person and apparently in, and I think in this time right now like people need to know there's a difference and you can like a person and even respect and respect a person and disagree with some Gar- of their Gary Herbert choices. is not out to, he's not out to he's not out to do bad things and 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 uh, you know he's he's just here doing what he thinks you know I uh, did a I did a this podcast with him he took me on a tour of the governor's mansion and uh, and it was just me and the governor and with a microphone, and we walked, and, and it was very non-political. The whole thing. He took me all around the governor's mansion, uh, and, and so he one, didn't. He didn't eat while he was doing. No, it. we didn't. No. Uh, we were going to have some lunch. Uh, there was the, a sack lunch, I think. I think there was a sack lunch involved, but then, but then we didn't get around to it because he had an appointment or something. But at any rate, by the way, these tacos, yeah, fantastic. Yeah, they do a great job. Yeah, there. yeah. So it was. Uh, there are two. I like to tell this story. There are two two moments in the uh, the whole interview that were great. At one point, we're looking at some painting, and he's dis- and he knew everything about it. He knew everything about the mansion. So we're looking at a painting, and he's telling me about it. And all of a sudden, I feel something on my shoulder, and I look over, and, it, and it's Governor Herbert. He's put his he's put his arm, <laughs> he's put his arm around me. He's a little buddy, you know. And he's going, you, know, yeah. <laughs> you know. And I thought that was really sweet, you know, yeah. and really nice. And then, uh, but then at the uh, at the very end, I said, "Well, it, it was just uh, it, it was before uh, same sex marriage had been passed, but it was just starting to kind of bubble up a little bit." And I asked him about how he felt about this whole, the, the idea of same-sex marriage, and uh, there seems to be some big surge here and move, and he said, well, um, I don't agree with the idea of it as same-sex marriage, and, and um, you know, I would have to uh, abide by whatever the courts would say. Ultimately, I don't think it's going to happen, and I don't agree with the, the idea of it, but, but that's where I stand on it, and, and I said, well... You know, I have to, I, I, Governor, I just have to say, I, I think you're wrong and you're on the wrong side of history on this. And he said, well, you know, we disagree on that. And that's where, that's, <laughs> that's where, where it left stood. It? Yeah, that's where we left it. And I haven't talked to him since, but, <laughs> but you know, it's, it was just kind of, that, to me, that's the kind of political discourse you can have with someone and just not yell and scream and just say, well, this is what I think and that's what it's you It's actually think. not true. You've, you have talked to him. He's been on your radio show on uh, doing stuff for the homeless and the road homes. Well, yeah, but yeah. It's, that's not the appropriate time it's, to It's not like you're not, it's not, like you're not speaking. It's well, not like you stopped it, talking you know, to you Interestingly, that. I grew up in a family of, uh, uh, there were six of us, uh, three boys, three girls, and um, I, I have a gay brother. Oh, uh, really? Uh, grew up in Bothwell, Utah, and... Uh, I think the world of him mm-hmm. and uh, LDS family, LDS family, assume. a very LDS family. My dad was in the stake presidency and the temple presidency, a mission president, very LDS family. And uh, I, I love this brother. And I think every one of the other family members would acknowledge I love him more than all of them. <laughs> and and uh, he, he's a, he's a great guy. And you know what I want for him, Bill? I want him to be happy. So, Whatever whatever it is out there that that my brother wants to do that makes him happy, I'm supportive of. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, you know, it's. I remember I remember one day when, um, 
Rocky Anderson called me up and and uh, wanted to do a um, AIDS test with uh, the swab. They have a swab now that you can swab inside of your mouth, and he was trying to get that out, you know, publicize it. And so he said, "I'm I'm trying to find a Republican office holder willing who will go and who will go and have this AIDS test." with me on camera and show how easy it is so that we can publicize this, a Democrat and a Republican. He said, I'm unable to find one. <laughs> but he said, I know that you are pretty open-minded and you would do this. And I was the executive director at the time. Mm-hmm. And I said, sure, I'll go and do it. I don't have a problem with that. So, I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure how the results are going to come <laughs> back. Uh, <laughs> I'm not 100%, but I'm pretty sure. And so uh, I, I went did the test, and I was during a legislative session. I got back up on the hill, and there was a group of us standing around, and and a prominent lobbyist came up to me and just started in on me about doing this with Rocky Anderson. You sell out. I can't believe you do that. And just, I just, I stood there for the longest time, allowing him to just get more rope off the spool and, and braid it around. And then I said, well, you may feel that way, but I have a brother who has AIDS. And so I'm, I, I was happy to do it. Mm. That ended the whole discussion yeah. <laughs> with him. Yeah. And, and fortunately, Imagine. yeah, exactly. <laughs> For, fortunately, we have uh, made such great progress in that area that, that his has moved from AIDS back to HIV. Oh, great. And, and uh, he's living a great life. And, and at one time... He kind of every day wondered, was this going to be the day I was going to pick up something that was going to be the end? Yeah. But he doesn't do that anymore, and it's just really changed his whole perspective. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a great story. That's and uh, oh, good. We, now we should we should talk about Rocky Anderson for a while. What a <laughs> fascinating man! He's been on this podcast. What a fascinating yeah, guy! He is he a is. fascinating guy. Uh, listen, let me ask you this about uh, local politics. Uh, no Democrat can seem to put a dent in Rob Bishop, Jason Chaffetz, Chris Stewart, me love maybe a little soft there, but probably not. Um, is it because of gerrymandering? Is it because of the caucus system? Is it because we're just so damned Republican? <laughs> uh, uh, it, I mean, we used to have dem- we used to have Frank Moss. We've talked about. I remember that white mane of hair that was Gun McKay mm. from up in Huntsville yeah. there, uh, who was just that stentorian old I'm right, exactly. a Democrat, and you know, uh, well, what, I, what the hell? I I I have uh, I have theories on this, and so I'll go ahead and give them to you. I've I've said multiple times that the only way a statewide office holder is going to get elected as a Democrat is to be a uh, a Mormon female soccer mom. Uh, and, you know, Jan Graham was not that, but she she made everybody think she was, which is how she got elected. She was the attorney general. Attorney general. Yeah. And the, the problem, the difficulty is that you've got two... Just as we have kind of this fringe in the Republican Party, the Democrat Party has the same fringe. Uh, and they tend to nominate many of their fringe candidates. Yeah. And it just does not sit well with the the uh, predominant religion in the state. Well, now, I mean, now, Doug Owens is not a fringe guy. He's not... 
He's no, not dy- no, he's not very dynamic. But the but the but fringe ones get all the attention Misty by Snow. the press and the and the media. Misty and Snow is yeah. kind of, and and I mean she's she's very sweet and and, and a, uh, I've had her interviewed her and she's very sweet and a right. lovely person. But but just, but, it, but you know it, it's you not going to work. It, it, it's not going to work. And 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 our state's going to have to probably grow up more. Um, you know there was the. If you could, if you could allege gerrymandering, which would probably be a stretch, but it, it, you could, if you really worked at it, but it would be reverse gerrymandering, draw a line around all the Democrats in the state and get one congressional seat. I mean, if you went up into Park City, up into Summit County and drew that line and came down through, you know, the the federal heights and the and yeah. the avenues and the west side you could draw you could draw a perfect democrat seat that would always stay democrat but it would be it would be called reverse gerrymandering yeah. and and it you'd really have to work at it to do it you'd have to have some little peninsulas and things like that so um so it's not gerrymandering it, i would say that it's just what they've done is they've divided the state up in a and and largely Rob Bishop has the seat he has because he wants to sleep in his own bed at night, and so they've given him a small geographical area as the the senior congressman from the state of Utah. Um, but it there will be one, but it, it it's going to be a while. Um, I think ben so. It's, Mc- so it's the cat- It's the candidates. It's the it's the candidates. It's the demographics. It's. But look, you've got Ben McAdams is the bright star on the horizon for the the Democratic Party. But I don't even believe that, that Ben McAdams is welcomed into his Democratic Party um, as he should be. I mean, he should he should be he's the top of their ticket. He he's, should be the yeah. person. He's a great but, guy. But but the fact that he's a practicing Mormon and you know, I don't think he's fully embraced now. He might he might come on the show and say otherwise, but if I were to peg somebody who had the chops to do this down the road for the right the right seat, I mean I could see a Ben McAdams running for attorney general and then from attorney general to something else. I mean I've never talked to Ben about that, but 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 clearly uh, he is very very well liked, very sincere. Very dynamic. He's doing a great job at the county, uh, and and so that's the type of that's the type of statewide candidate that I think could pull something off. Uh, are they? They've got to be out there. Oh, they they they're out there. They just don't care to run. You know, I was just telling somebody the other day, the legislature used to be made up of captains of industry. Um, the, the really the titans of industry when public service really meant meant something, but we have taken it so far down into the gutter, and I think everybody's to blame for this. I don't think it's any segment of society that you can't you can't say it's the press or you can't say it's the you know candidates or the small group of people at the caucuses. Every group is, I think, to blame for this, and that is the lack of respect we have for our elected officials um, is just, it just makes it so who would, who would put up with that? I mean, you know, look at Look at a Deloitte Hansen up in, up in Cash Valley, for example. My boy, he's my boss. Your boss. Yes, your boss. 
Deloy would be the type of person who would be elected out of Cache Valley in the olden days. Mm-hmm. But why would a guy like Deloy Hansen want to serve in the legislature that there's, there's no... He has no need for right, that. Right, right. But it used to be that way. I mean, Bob Garf was the Speaker of the House at one time. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, you go back and look at, at some of the uh, Speakers of the House, Presidents of the Senate... I mean, Al Mansell was a, a titan of industry. Mm-hmm. You know, Mansell and Associates yeah. real, real estate, and and largely it's it's because it's just so difficult to serve with the lack of civility and the lack of respect that that sane people really have to think twice about it. <laughs> they really do. Well, yeah. So so by uh, the opposite, you're saying that most of the people who run now are crazy. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, you know, <laughs> take that as it, as it may, but yeah, I would say that a lot of them are really sane people who have thought long and hard about it. Maybe that's a better way to... Let me ask you a question about uh, going back to Washington when uh, Mike Lee said, uh, I want you, Spencer Stokes, to be my chief of staff. Uh, he was a brand new senator and uh you didn't have any experience in washington dc wouldn't it have been smarter for him to hire somebody who uh knew washington dc and somebody a little you know some some cigar chomp and you know (laughs) kind of listen listen kid this is what you got to do here to survive in this town well i I, interesting i before Two years before we lost the Senate, I, I made this really bright decision. I thought to myself, you know, Bob Bennett's going to be the chair of banking, and Orrin Hatch is going to be the chair of finance. I think I'm going to go back there and start doing some lobbying in D.C. Hmm. So I, I walked around and found a, an apartment and, and rented it. And uh, about two weeks later, I found out that my upstairs neighbor was Barack Obama. He was a young senator from Illinois. Really? Yeah, just just coincidentally. And uh, that was the year that I went back. So that would have been, what, 2008, 10, somewhere. Well, eight, he's been in eight years, and he was two years before that. So mm-hmm. whatever the math is. So I had had, I had, had some experience in D.C., huh. uh, but... The reason Mike selected me was because the establishment in Utah knew me uh, largely. Um, I had kind of been helping Mike. I, w- I kind of feel like I was the Dick Cheney of the search committee for, for chief of staff. Oh, don't say that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I had helped Mike try to weed through some candidates. And one day a mutual friend said to Mike, you just need to talk Stokes into going back there and doing it. And and so he did. He, he for. For about for about three weeks, he worked on me, and the day that my wife said that I could do it, and I think this this shows a lot of people don't think Mike Lee has a sense of humor. Or they, they Mike Lee is a great guy. He has a great sense of humor. Um, my my mother in law had recently passed away, and of course, you know Mike's father had passed away. And I got a text late one night from Mike that said uh, it was it was from. A picture of my mother-in-law came up on the screen. It was from her obituary, and he and it said, uh, um, "This is Rex Lee." Uh, he was texting. Um, I've talked to your mother-in-law here on the other side, <laughs> and and she thinks it would be a good idea for you to go and help my son. You know, and and I read it to my wife who just started laughing, uh, and 
and that was the day she said, you know what? I think you actually could get along with this guy. You both have a sense of humor, and you would enjoy working with him. And, and you know, my job was basically to get the office established. Um, unlike when Bob Bennett took over for Jake Garn, um, and there there was, you know, it was a smooth transition because Bob had had Jake to help him, yeah. you know, do the transition. The difference was that the Bennett people were not happy that Mike Lee was, was replacing him. Yeah. And so they were all long gone. Most of them have gotten other jobs because remember he was taken out at the convention, which was in, which was in May. Right. And so, um, their, most of their staff had found other jobs, but the thing you need to understand, I got along with all the Bennett people. I mean, I, I was friends with all of them because I'd worked with all of them. Mm-hmm. And, um, but they still didn't. They still weren't happy that no, that I, Mike Lee was coming. Yeah. But the thing that you have to understand is that Bob Bennett had been the chairman of the Rules Committee in Washington D.C. and then at the time was the ranking member of the Rules Committee. And the Rules Committee, unlike any other process in state government or in the House of Representatives, the Rules Committee is actually the committee that determines what you can and cannot do, how many flags you can have outside of your office, what color you can paint your office, what kind of chairs you will have, what kind of desks you will have. Really, that picky. Yeah, yeah. That, that picky. It's we had, like the Homeowners Association. Exactly. The, <laughs> it, that's a perfect description of it. And, and we... And all of the Bennett people had gone over to the Rules Committee as professional staffers uh, when Bob... So it was my job now to interact with all of these former Bennett staffers who were on the Rules Committee and try to help Mike get his office set up. And it was a challenge. Uh, we had three flags outside of our office, and they we got a letter from the Rules Committee, you can only have two. Meanwhile, I'm walking down the hall, and Lamar Alexander's got three. <laughs> you know, what, why, does Mar, why does Lamar Alexander get to have three? Because. because yeah, exactly. Uh, and we, we printed a sign. All the other offices had signs outside their door that said, Constituent Coffee. Come and enjoy a constituent coffee with your senator. You know, Senator Al Franken could have that sign outside his door, but when we put a constituent jello reception outside of our door, we had numerous problems with it. We used the word jello, which is a trademark name, and you cannot. We got a letter from the ethics or from the rules committee saying you cannot use the word jello. Gelatin. It, yeah, gelatin. It doesn't have the same no. ring to it, you know? So it was mainly to set the office up, and I told Mike in the beginning it would be too to three years, and I was two years and one month, and, uh, m- you know, I, it was a fascinating experience, Bill. I mean, it was just, to be in rooms where the people you see on CNN and, and, yeah. and Fox and C-SPAN, and I tell, I tell our local legislators, the federal delegations are more accessible than the Utah delegations, uh, than the Utah legislature, because... You can go stand outside of John McCain's office and eventually see him. But the legislature, when they remodeled the Capitol, they pull into underground parking and they have back hallways that connect everything that you have to have access to. You literally could go through an entire legislative session and not be able to talk to your legislator if that legislator truly did not want to talk to the public because they can come in and out the back doors of committee rooms. But members of Congress and members of the United States Senate, they they have to go out in the public halls to walk places. So to see them it was a really a thrill to see 
uh, you know, people you've grown up with yeah. all your lives and, and, and being in the same elevator, being well, involved in Al conversation. Franken, you used to see him on uh, Saturday Night Live. Al Franken <laughs> has got a great sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Uh, he actually wrote a note to Mike shortly after he'd been there for his birthday. Mm-hmm. And it said, uh, you know, happy birthday, welcome to the Senate. I hope the hazing hasn't been too bad. <laughs> I mean, he's got a heck of a sense of humor, mm-hmm. as you can imagine. But uh, mm-hmm. Those are the kinds of experiences that you just don't get to have. Did, did you ever interact with young Barack Obama before? I, I, did he ever the, come to your apartment to ask, like, borrow an egg? Yeah, or, like, it, well, the, the most you I don't had have a smoke, was, do you, Stokes? Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> you got a match? You got a light? The most I had was uh, the, the security guard. I had some friends over, and the, bal- the access to the rooftop was closed, and I talked this guy into going out there, and he said, he said, now, which is your apartment? And I said, it's uh, 1314. He said, well, you know, that new young senator is in 1414. Of course, he didn't know how to pronounce his name. That's the only interaction mm-hmm. I had. Um, I moved into a couple of years later. When he ran for president, he moved into kind of a basement apartment to run because he didn't, wasn't there ever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I moved up to his his apartment and actually registered the domain name Ob- Obama's Throne. I thought I would blog from the toilet. You know, I could I could uh, <laughs> uh, blog blog from the toilet, but um, never had any action. But the probably the funniest story about that in Washington D.C. Right after we got back to D.C., uh, we <laughs> we were looking for. You have to go scavenger your furniture, and so I made friends with with all of the people in the furniture department, the drapery department, the painting department, the woodworking <clears throat> department. And so she said, I'll take you. Don't tell anybody, but I'll take you and let you go look for, go look for, you know, for office the, furniture. For, for, uh, for the office. senator. Yeah, yeah, for the senator. And uh, so we went, into one, we went into one room, just an abandoned room that had a bunch of furniture in, and there was a desk standing up on its side, and it said S-E-N period Omamba. It was spelled wrong because oh, they didn't know how to spell his name yeah. when he came to the Senate. Sure. And I said, I think that was Barack Obama's desk. We want that one. And, uh, <laughs> and she <laughs> said, I have a picture of this because when he, when he opens his presidential library, I'm going to and – they, and they have the yeah. desk in because pl- clearly they're going to sand the bottom of that off and change it. <laughs> yeah. So I have the photograph. Mm-hmm. Uh, she said, I'm going to have to check with my boss. Mm-hmm. So she came back a day later and said – they're not going to let you have that desk. Yeah. Uh, but Omamba. Yeah. Nobody knew how to spell uh, Obama back then. It's great. But Will you uh, send me that picture? I've got, I've got it, yeah. I'll let yeah, you post it. it. Yeah, we'll put it on. Yeah. Put it on. Yeah. Uh, so let, let's talk a little just quickly. We'll end it up here. Do you want to have the one of, of me and... and uh, and Bono as well. I mean, it, come on, if you're going to post that one. Well, if you've got one. <laughs> sure. And I also would like a picture of the throne. Yeah, the throne, yeah. I didn't, on, I didn't take that one, yeah. If, that, <laughs> if you have that as well, yeah. Uh, you, national, let's just talk a little bit about national politics and what you think about all of this. And, uh, uh, you know, people will listen to this whenever, and, and, uh, uh, and President Trump will, uh, <laughs> you know, will, I, I, I don't know, you could make a prediction if you want, um, what, but but it, it is we're recording this on November second, twenty sixteen. So mm-hmm. we're we're a week away right now from Hillary and Donald's. Well, the, election o- the, day. the odds are, and I would be a fool if I didn't say it was going to be Hillary Clinton. Yeah, uh, I think seems this to be. Yeah, it seems to be the. Um, um, but there is a pathway for Donald Trump. Yeah. Um, 
it's probably a long shot. Um, I don't know what kind of president he would be. I will tell you that um, since this is a podcast, I can probably tell this story. On last Tuesday, I had lunch at the Trump Hotel, the newly open Trump Hotel in Washington, D.C. Donald Trump was going to be there the next day. Between the two check-in desks, there was a large round table with probably 30 obelisks on it, you know, phallic symbols uh, right there between. And I thought to myself, with all of the problems that we've heard about, why would you put 30 of those crystal obelisks right in the middle of the the check-in desk? So I don't know what kind of president he would be. I think we have a better hunch of what kind of president Hillary Clinton will be. What kind of president Um, do you think she would be? I think I want to – I want to – I want to section out a piece a piece of history here. I want to I want to section out the private email server because I believe that Hillary Clinton did that for self preservation. She knew that she was going to be the Secretary of State. I, I don't agree with her decision, but she knew she was going to be the Secretary of State, and so she wanted to protect herself for a future presidential run. It was very calculated. It's the reason they did it, and. Um, but if you take that piece out... And, and let me just add this to that. I, th- I think she is understandably an exceptionally guarded human being. No question about it. She's, which just, is, she's just... She's been through a lot. Yeah, Let's remember just guarded, what she did you know, with... Yeah. What, you know yeah, what she went yeah. through with Bill, her husband. Yeah. And, and, and yeah. so we got we to remember that. So section that out. Okay. And... Uh, and so I told you Rich, Rich McKean eats here a yeah, lot. You yeah, did exactly. Say that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But if you section that piece out, I think the thing we know we know about her is that she respects she respects the government process. Um, I think she'll be much different than Barack Obama. I believe she'll work with Congress differently than Barack Obama did. She's a former senator. She has a respect for the separation of powers. So I believe in that regard she will be and, – and look, this is a smart, studious, bright person. And let's also remember she's going to bring back in all the people that were kind of chased out as Democrats during the Barack Obama administration. He brought in a whole new group of people. They were movement Democrats. They came in because of him. They're all going to be leaving, and the institutional Democrats are going to come back in – uh, in, into government again. And if you ask... It's kind of an aspect of, of what you... I don't quite understand that aspect well, that you're talking about. Well, you, the, kind of the, the historical um, Democrats, the, the, the people who have kind of filled the appointments in the past, who have filled, the, um, who have filled all of the, uh, those kinds of administrative jobs, have been there from, for, through President Clinton and, and, and other Democrat presidencies. Mm-hmm. But he brought in. He didn't. He didn't hire based on that. Mm-hmm. He didn't hire based on your um, how long you'd been, a, you know, a member of the party or the you know kind of the the elitists. Of, mm-hmm. And Republicans have these elite party people as well. Sure. So he brought in all these new people. She's these all these people are going to return, and the institutional Democrats in Washington D.C. are thrilled about it because they're going to have their jobs back instead mm-hmm. of kind of the young new tech guy that that. That that helps you uh, on your campaign, or you know, they they are 
not movement. I guess you'd call them neo-libs if so, you were going to do it in the... So you mean like the Eric Holders and people like that? Those or? were all new people that yeah. Barack Obama brought in, so, correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. You're going to end up with, with people who have kind of paid their dues in the Democrat mm-hmm. process. And so I don't think she... I don't think she's going to be bad as president. I quite honestly think she'll be respectful and she may go up to Congress because she's been there and work with them more. And by the way, I have a lot of, I, I love Chuck Schumer who it looks like he will be the, uh, if, if, if the Republicans lose control of the Senate, he'll be the, he'll be the, uh, majority leader of the Senate. Chuck Schumer is, a very personable guy that wants to get in a room and work out a deal. I think he's going to be much different than Harry Reid, who just was kind of a no, 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 we're not doing that, we're not doing that. Mm-hmm. Schumer's a New York guy, likes to work deals. Yeah. And you've seen Senator Lee and Chuck Schumer do, uh, you know, actually run a few bills together, oh, which surprises uh, people when mm-hmm. I tell them that. Yeah, I so, didn't know that. Yeah. Um, I w- he likes Mike, and Mike likes Chuck. They're, they're, they're friends. Mm-hmm. Um, Senator Lee was telling me one day that, they were in a meeting, and Schumer said, well, we just need to call this senator, this senator, this senator. And then he started rattling off their cell phone numbers, that he's got that kind of a memory. He has <laughs> every cell phone number of every <laughs> senator memorized. Just, and there's no, no wonder he's going to be uh, the, the leader of the Senate, yeah. uh, whether you know, he'll be the minority leader or the majority leader, whichever, whichever mm-hmm. happens. Mm-hmm. I personally think we're going to hold the Senate by a very, very slim margin, mm-hmm. um, uh, maybe 50-50, 51-51, but, yeah, by a very slim margin. And the Republicans will still control the House. The Republicans will still control the House, yeah. Uh, what, um, what about, um, how do you, I know you know Jason Chaffetz well, and what about this kind of obstruction? This obstruction of stuff when he says things like, you know, listen, I got stuff on Hillary Clinton. And I, you know, I'm already preparing, you know, four more years of uh, investigations. I don't see anything served by that kind of stuff. It, 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 it there's nothing served by that. It's true. Um, look, other than maybe best. getting him, making him popular in Utah, uh, maybe, maybe. But I think people tire on that here as well. I often say New York politics do not work here, and it does not work in Utah. And I, I think that's if you want to get to the heart of why Doug Owens isn't doing better than 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 expected, is that that his ads were overly negative, um, and it's not his, but the national people that came in to run to run independent expenditure ads, and at. At the heart of all of, of all of the political financing, I would much rather have limits come off of people and you have to fully disclose what's coming to you as a candidate than the dark money. I'd much rather have it coming from you and I can find out where it's coming mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. rather than trying to track it down. It makes it much more difficult. I but but you know, Jason is a smart guy and he will see that if this is not – if this is not, if there's nothing there, he's not going to continue to pursue it. We're in an election election season right now, and others have said he maybe he's in a permanent election season. But um, I, the best description I've heard of the email server was I was with Chris Stewart, who who's on who's on the Intel committee, clearly does not speak about what's on the Intel committee, but said to person that was also there. If a person handed you a piece of paper and said, there are 10 names on this piece of paper that are, in, that are deep undercover, 
would you know that that was classified? Hillary Clinton has said she didn't know, you know, that she didn't know that any of the things that were on her server were classified. Clearly you would. It is it was a breach. It was a it was a blind spot. I know why she did it. I understand why she did it. It wasn't the right decision, but uh as you said, Bill, she's extremely guarded. Yeah. Yeah, I've I've heard people who've interviewed her, I've heard reporters say they interview her and in, during the interview, she's very careful and very... And then the cameras go off, and she's so pleasant to everybody around her, charming, jokes with people, uh, talks to the staff, talks to the cameraman, and the camera she, goes on. Hmm. She would have to be. She yeah. would not have made it this far not being that way. Yeah. It's just yeah. A fascinating, fascinating. It's a fascinating... Uh, I, you know, I'd love to talk about your, your family, your, <laughs> uh, your, your mother. I, I, I downloaded your father's obituary, and there's one thing I just wanted to mention about your, your family. I, I saw at the very end, I thought this was great. Um, it says, uh, at, at the end of your father's obituary, and I, the year he died, uh, it wasn't long ago, Just really. in January, yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, donations may be made to the Dolores and Elida V. Is it Elida? Elida. Elida uh-huh. V. Smith Stokes Ornamental Grass and Iris Garden. At yes. Utah State University Botanical Center. It's in it's in Kaysville. It's it's absolutely beautiful. The best time to visit is is clearly around Memorial Day when all the irises are blooming. But my mother loved irises. My uh, grandmother, that was her flag. The flags she the called flags, them flags exactly. Mm-hmm. And and we have a really beautiful variety uh, of irises up there. And and. I would encourage your listeners to in the you know in the round Memorial Day to go up there. We we really want to start a, a uh, an Irish show, and eventually when that grows in a little better, um, it's about five years, five or six years old. It it will probably do something when they get the parking lot paved and. Yeah, if you don't know where that is, you can see it from I fifteen. Yes, uh, it's just right there, Kaysville, and it's just to the east of I fifteen. Uh, the and you can go to usu.edu/stokesirisgarden. Yes, and I went yeah. and looked at it. It was really cool. Yeah, yeah. thanks cool. for the plug. Yeah, I thought that was just <laughs> I thought that was really sweet. Uh, Spencer Stokes, a pleasure to uh, finally sit down and talk to you. Uh, your website, if people want to find out about, you know, I don't have a website. No, they just uh, generally call me. Are you on Twitter? <laughs> I am on Twitter, Spencer F. Stokes, a really go. original name. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, they people say that lobbyists are what's wrong with government, <laughs> don't they? <laughs> they? They do, yes. Yeah, that's yes, that's yes. really what's wrong with government. Yeah. I, I, I like to say that uh, every citizen has a lobbyist. You have a lobbyist in the Broadcasting Association, and, mm. and it's mainly that it's, a, it's people who go and speak for that industry, whatever it is, nurses, teachers, mm. You know, it doesn't have to be a bad thing. It it's, does not. It's gotten it a bad. Not. It's gotten a bad rap, and some of it is kind of sli- slimy. Uh, the bad apples always create the Jack Abramoff set us back a <laughs> yeah. hundred years. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. forgot about that yeah. guy. Yeah, somebody said uh, uh, lobbyists are like lawyers. You hate them until you need one. There you go. I would say that's that's correct. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a pleasure. Thank you, Bill. Thank, Thank you, Bill. Dylan. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, that's it. Uh, the Let's Go Eat show. Thanks to the staff here at 50 West for a, a delicious lunch. Thank you, Jen. Thanks, Dylan, for producing the show. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm Bill Allred. Uh, that's it. Uh, remember, when you're pouring the drinks, always make mine a double. <laughs>